This might sound like the plot of a spy novel, but UK startups are increasingly at risk of state actors trying to steal their assets. Take one Scottish renewable manufacturer that was harnessing wave power. They were visited by a 60-strong delegation led by a senior Chinese official. A couple of months after that, some of their laptops were stolen. Guess what happened next? Yup, pictures emerged showing a Chinese firm making a product that was virtually identical. This is why we're working with the National Protective Security Authority and the National Cyber Security Center, the UK's security experts. They got in touch with us because they see such a growing threat facing UK startups. How are they responding? With the launch of a new campaign, Secure Innovation. It's not just your cybersecurity that matters, but your physical security too. If you want to get a better handle on your security, check out npsa.gov.uk forward slash innovation and download their free quick start guide. There's a link in the show notes. Not only was it emotionally like so frustrating, you know, like anyone who saw me during this period, like saw the toll it took on me, you know, going from this euphoria of, you know, onboarding a lot of customers to boom, not getting paid. This could have like pretty much destroyed the complete business. Neil Ambakar is the founder of B2B Pay and Navi Payments. And B2B Pay is lucky to still be here. The company was taken to the brink by a sequence of events that led to Neil questioning the legal system in the UK. He says he did everything right, but ended up losing. This is how the game is really played. In 2015, Neil set up B2B Pay to help business owners find the right business bank account. Remember companies like Monzo were only just beginning to appear at this time. Banking, particularly business banking, was still pretty old school. We sort of ended up having a really good funnel. Like we started building a, like a reputation on the market. Uh, we had really strong uh, search engine optimization and marketing. So we were getting like about 50,000 like website visits a month uh, and over a thousand signups. So we had thousand people signing up on a website asking us for accounts, which we would filter out and send to our partner partner bank. So so this was really good for us because we had this like a model which was a funnel that was working. From that we were able to onboard maybe fifty to hundred customers a month. And the way the business worked was that hey we got a commission uh, from our customers based on, you know, whatever gen- revenue they generated with a partner uh, and maybe other services that we provided them. So, so it was pretty, pretty good. I mean, it's, it was hard work. Like, you know, uh, it's like uh, you had to work like uh, six, seven days a week. 12 hours a day, there's a lot of complexity, a lot of documentation, uh, but but for a change after the first two, three years when we really struggled to make any revenue, uh, like I can say in the first two, three years of being say a fintech entrepreneurs, we were making very little revenue, not enough to even pay basic salaries, and then finally to find a business model which worked was great. The plan was to build this model to build their cash position and profitability so they could execute on loftier ambitions like getting a license so they could offer financial products themselves. This was step one, trying to give themselves a platform. We became really friendly with one sort of a financial uh, institution because they were able to like take on a lot of our clients, open accounts fast. So, so we we started sending over like 70, 80% of our customers there because it just felt 
um, like, hey, these guys are moving really fast. We have a great relationship with their team. Uh, they're opening accounts fast uh, as compared to some other partners which took months on, you know, with slow replies. Uh, so we sort of uh, focused all our energy like, hey, this partner, they're the, they're, they're the best performing partner. Let's, you know, just channel um, 70, 80% of our customers there, 70, 80% of our energy. So, you know, like on a daily basis, I was spending most of my time trying to, you know, like increase the flow uh, to this channel. So we, so we had become very reliant on them. Um, and, and, you know, like we were a key response, we were a major, we were responsible for driving a lot of their growth, you know, because we were sending them a huge amount of customers. I said we had a huge client base. A lot of people know us in the market. Um, so, th so the thing is that initially they were like super happy with us because they were like, wow, you're sending us so many customers. Uh, it's so great. You know, you guys are amazing. You know, like, uh, you know, they had very few customers, but because of our sales funnel, we were able to channel a huge amount of customers. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the thing is, as our business grew, and because I said in these sort of businesses, we have like a revenue share agreement, uh, after a few months of, you know, you know, we did all the hard work by bringing them a huge portion, you know, like the, 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 the affiliate payments started turning slow uh, that, you know, rather than receiving them on a monthly basis, it was suddenly like, you know, um, an open uh, question when we will get them. Um, then they were suddenly like, you know, like I think they realized how much business we were bringing them so that uh, they're going to have to pay us a lot of fees. So suddenly there was also discussions that, you know, um, hey, you know, maybe we need to renegotiate the terms and things like that. You can see where this was headed. The situation deteriorated and it was the first time Neil had faced this kind of problem. He was getting frustrated, but knew that they had a good contract. So he hired someone to write an official looking letter to remind the bank of their responsibilities. They took this as if it was... Um, uh, it was like a, a, a court action. So they became, it became very defensive. Um, basically, they just stopped all communication. Um, and, and, and yeah, and so basically, and, and it was, I was left in a limbo because on one hand, um, I was not getting paid and it was like, okay, should we send clients uh, or not? Um, and then the second thing was like, should we tell the clients we have there to stop using the service? But at the same time, if I stop, then in a way I'm in breach um, of our contract that I will not, you know, like uh, harm the client relationship. So it was like a uh, damned if you will, damned if you won't uh, situation. So uh, we just kept operating as normal. Obviously, we did not send as many clients, but we were in like a like a limbo situation where we couldn't do anything and they just did just stop communicating. This was a high value problem. The unpaid payments were worth 200, 300,000 euros, critical to the bootstrap business. Yeah, I mean, this was like a big wake up call on how the legal system works. So for me, it was really simple, you know, like I'm completely in the right, there's a solid contract, uh, uh, you know, um, so we, we sent two, three letters like that saying, hey, please pay us, please, you know, follow the contract. They hired a big law firm, uh, like I won't name uh, the name, but it was one of the bigger law firms from London. Uh, the company was UK registered. And basically, we just got like saying, hi, blah, blah, blah. We need more time sort of letter like, um, you know, like, ah, you know, we are taking over the case. We are considering it. Um, what is the issue? So it was 
Um, it was quite a long, quite long letters asking us for more information. So then I also hired a lawyer, um, and the lawyer was really good. We wrote them a letter, a very maybe a five-page long letter explaining everything. Hey, this is what B two B Pay does. These are the client lists. Here is. Um, here is uh, the contract. Uh, this is the commissions owed. Um, this is, you know, it was for my side. It was a foolproof, like solid case. Um, the the lawyers um, basically, as I said, they they had a, you know, it was a huge law firm, one of the top, let's say, two or three in London. So you sort of respect their professionalism, and they just kept writing, like, yeah, yeah, we're busy. Oh, yeah, we just need more time. And this turned into six, seven months. And uh, at at that time, we realized that. Um, this law firm was not at all interested. They were just brought in to waste time, that they were not serious about actually replying to any of these things. So we spent six, eight months, you know, sending them letters, um, reminders, hey, do you have an update? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to send it to you. Ah, oh, no, there's a court case come up. I've been very busy. And, and, and the thing is, because these are just like, let's say, you know, like legal letters, they are not like court there is no enforceability. Um, then we finally decided that okay, let's let's send a real letter. So we hired a solicitor um, in the UK um, to send a, like an official letter, which would be like the first step towards the legal process. Um, and then they took the same approach, saying that look, if you um, um, again, like you know, they like yeah, yeah, we'll respond, we will respond, and then it got to the point where. Yeah, you know, they were not going to respond, and we were. This is a year after the initial, um, uh, initial, let's say, conversations that you haven't paid us, and then it was a big reality check that we finally. So the way it works in the UK is you have a solicitor who does legal work, and you have a barrister who apparently goes to the court. So the only option open to us uh, at the time, according to them, was that hey, we have to go to a court case, um, and. And, and the thing is because, yeah, I mean, we couldn't go through the small claims court or something like that. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, and then it was like, hey, you know, this court case will cost you about £100,000, uh, you know, just to do it. Neil had a big decision to make. Basically, I was left in a position after one year that, uh, and just the, you know, this was still like uh, hurting, you know, like uh the whole year you're just remembering these conversations and you're like, okay, I could spend a hundred thousand pounds to fight a case to maybe get 200,000. Maybe by then this company has gone bankrupt. Uh, Maybe I don't win the case, even though on legal. And at that time we just, you know, it was like, you know, this, the trauma has been so much from this case that, you know, you have to, you have to just learn to accept a defeat and be like, you know what, this is, uh, it's time to quit. Like, you know, I think that, um, okay, I had spent at that time only maybe, well, not a, not not insignificant, but maybe five to 6,000 euros. And it was like, maybe it's time to for me to just cut my losses, lesson learned, even though it's a huge amount, then going down a rabbit hole, which is like, I end up spending 60. And once you, you know, these these bills can be, you know, unending, you know, you pay 5,000 euros to the lawyer. Next thing, you pay another 5,000 euros. And then once you spend 20,000, it's hard to stop spending that money. And I was like, okay, you know what? I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. 
The company had been nurturing other customers in the meantime, but they had 70 to 80% of lost revenue to fill. Still, they managed to get by, and B2B Pay is still going today, even though Neil's focus is another company, Navi Payments. He learned something fundamental, though, from this experience, which has stood him in good stead with his latest venture. You know, it's all about trust, you know, no legal um, contract is going to, you know, like help you in these sort of matters. You know, you can have the most ironclad if they don't pay you. The the pain is too high. It's never worth the legal route. I mean, I'm not going to say never, but at least in my experience, it's just not worth it. You know, I had a bad feeling about these partners when I first had a call. I, I mean, there were two partners, one of the guys I knew for a long time, and I and the other guy, when I had the call, I already had a bad feeling. Um, but I sh- And I should have gone with my gut that, hey, I don't trust these guys. It's not worth um, going. So now when I approach partnership, is the first thing is, hey, hey it's trust. Um, uh, let's sign the contract. Let's start working. If, if for some reason they break the contract, I'm, I'm, I have the mental attitude now that, hey, you know what? That's it. The relationship is ended, but I'm not going to mentally spend my time thinking about it. So the main, I think the main thing for not just me, for any entrepreneur is, hey, first is trust. If it turns sour, just cut your losses and move to the next because I wasted a year on this thing. I, I could have spent my time on um, something else. Um, don't get emotionally attached to these partners. Um, and, and, you know, like make sure you don't have all your eggs in one basket. Neil Ambakar, who says, pick your partners carefully and trust your gut. We hear that a surprising amount in these stories. Often your instinct will be right. So dial into it. Put words to your feelings. Thanks for listening to this episode. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta. And if you like this episode, please share it with a friend. See you next time. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.